Hi everyone and welcome to Teeth and Tales. I'm your host Dr. Shadi Manuchari and today's episode is on designing a dental practice with Kimia Banam. I am so excited to announce that this episode is very kindly sponsored by Enlighten. You may have seen me rave about them on my social media channels. I always get so many questions about teeth whitening, which brand I recommend and how I personally whiten my teeth. And the answer to all those questions is Enlighten. What's really special about Enlighten is that they guarantee a B1 shade. For those of you that don't know, B1 is the brightest natural shade of teeth that we have. And the greatest thing is that there are no dietary or lifestyle changes with Enlighten, so you can continue to drink your coffee and still whiten your teeth, which was the big selling point for me personally. For more information about Enlighten, please check out my social media channels. And now without further ado, let's get into the episode. quite unique to have you on the podcast we've usually focused on the more clinical side of dentistry and having guests who are um, clinical really but I thought it would be a really really nice way of digressing but still sort of staying relevant to dentistry talking about how to design a clinic because um, you know as we were saying before it's now at a stage where you know dental clinics can actually be quite nice and you can introduce a lot yeah. of design elements into them and they don't have to be scary sort of very hospital style looking places you can really make it what you want so I'm excited for this episode but before we get into all of that could you just tell me a little bit about yourself what you do and how you got to be where you are today. Hi Shadi so my name is Mia and I'm an architect and um, we um, so basically I set up the company about two years ago now, almost two years, and we basically focus on and specialize in um, healthcare projects and health sciences, and we also work on a number of other sectors like commercial, like offices and residential. Um, so my story, um, to summarize very quickly, <laughs> I would say, so I wasn't the one that always wanted to be an architect from the beginning. Um, so I actually didn't know much about the sector, and it's interesting because Everyone I speak to, they say to me, I wanted to be an architect, you know, since I was five, seven, or whatever, so on, yes. But it was actually, I started looking into it when I was looking into universities, thinking, okay, gosh, what am I going to do? Because, you know, it's not easy for everyone. Everyone doesn't know exactly what they want to do. Even they go to university, they still don't know. So um, uh, one of my advisors said to me, what about interior design? Because I was doing the arts and, you know, the textiles and things like that. Um, but after research, I realized that you don't have to do maths and physics. So um, I ended up getting myself into a university <laughs> in doing architecture. Um, so I went to a different route and it was kind of, it was, I remember speaking to the university on, on, on Friday and I started the course on Monday. It was very kind of, you know, prompt. Um, so then I studied and I fell in love with this. Um, the sector and as I grow more and more I realized that it's such a personable um, sector and you it's all about understanding your clients and their vision etc so I love the personal communication side of things um, so then I applied that into the design and yeah so gradually I ended up doing my part one then I did my part two and as soon as I came out university I did my part three so I was always quite ambitious and I wanted to get things done so I can graduate and start designing you know and, and doing my thing um so then I was lucky when I moved to London um I ended up 
um, working on a number of very cool projects that gave me amazing experience. So it's kind of, it, it, it is to do with luck as well on what you get thrown onto when you start after graduation, because you can get, you can get pigeonholed in a certain stage of projects, whereas I ended up working from start to finish to handover, et cetera. And I was lucky enough to engage directly with the client. So it helped me progress really speedily compared to normal. Um, so I think that definitely really helped. And then I went to another practice and I learned more about management side of things. And then um, due to, it, it always happens, we always have to go through a rough time for you to actually kind of um, feel like you're ready because you always, you always automatically do what's comfortable, right? So you think, okay, well, I like my job, it's going well, I'm going to stick at it, etc. And I think it's always sometimes you have to be knocked down for you to wake up and think, actually, what am I going to do next? What, what's the right thing for me to do? Um, so when I was made redundant, um, at the, I, was, I was just turning 29, so I was just under 28. Um, so the automatic thing was, okay, I've just lost my job. I'm going to go and work in another practice. Um, and that was the, the immediate thought. Um, but then I thought, okay, actually, what am I going to do that I've got existing clients who I love and they're very supportive and also um, there's projects to work on. So I was thinking, okay, do I, do I simply just go to another practice um, or do I be brave enough and to uh, take on this journey on my own with luckily with supportive clients and people and mentors that I, I, I was close to um, and I just, you know, decided to do it. and since then I've not looked back and I think it was one of those brave decisions that I think you have to go through a, <laughs> a difficult scenario mm -hmm. situation in your life to end up you know going for and you know I always thought that you know if I don't take this opportunity now I'm going to be old and grumpy and just be completely regretting this decision yeah. of not doing it so I thought at least try it you, you, you've got nothing to lose um, so I did it. And since then, we've just been so busy, even through COVID and Brexit. Um, we've been lucky enough to be busy throughout the whole, you know, the rough patch. And I know it's been really difficult for a lot of people, which I sympathize greatly. But because I think we were lucky that we worked in the healthcare sector and health sciences, they're always, you know, evolving and they don't stop, basically. So it kept us through the um, pandemic and Brexit and also yeah, we're luckily coming out of it now and stronger. I, I think this whole duration has made everyone very resilient now. So the people who have survived have been to have been, you know, had to learn to be agile and you know take on the challenges day by day. Because you know, it's it's not like the olden days anymore. And even before the pandemic, we were still, you know, because we were such a new company, we were working from home. Um, and being super connected. So when this whole thing happened, every, most companies were struggling of taking the IT infrastructure, taking the mm -hmm. teams and applying them in their homes, whereas we were already doing that and having meetups in our offices. Um, so it worked out really well because then it just was a smooth transition. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so this is where we are now. Um, and yeah, I'm super enjoying it. And I'm just excited to see where basically the life and career takes us next you know yeah. do you know I completely agree with you I think you just need something to throw you off your expected path to for you to try something something new and unless you kind of I want to say 
I don't want to say failure. I don't like the word, word failure. And I think a lot of people who are ambitious, who want to take on new and exciting challenges, um, they're really hard on themselves and they have really, really high expectations of themselves. So when something happens that goes against what they had in mind with regards to their plans, um, it really it really throws them off and it can be mentally quite challenging, actually. So to do that and take that leap of faith and set up your own company when there are so many unknowns and so many doubts, then I think that takes real guts. And I'm so happy that it's worked out for you. And it's, you know, it's similar, although our paths in terms of the, the profession is different. It takes a similar kind of concept to go from working for somebody and with somebody to going completely solo initially. Um, what were the challenges that you went through initially setting up your own company, bringing together a team? What kind of things were difficult for you to deal with that have now sort of fallen into place? So I think it's so I know a lot of people say, you know, it's it's easy because it is the process is easy. So you can actually if you because the thing is, I didn't have time to learn what I'm going to be doing. I had to learn on the go and also going from just being a designer to doing everything within a company. So that includes your marketing, your business development, financials. You know, there's a lot of other bits and bobs that you need to bring together. So I always say you've got to be a jack of all trades if you want to have your own company at the beginning because you've got to do all of that on your own for you to start establishing a, a foundation before you're able to bring other people on board. Mm -hmm. So I think that was probably the biggest shake to me because it you kind of no one tells you this before you start and also unless you research into starting a company um you know you, you don't know this automatically whatsoever yeah. um I think I think the advice I would give is obviously for you to do this you've got to have some sort of stability from a client perspective so you've mm -hmm. you've got to understand okay if I set up my own company Am I going to bring my own uh, clients? Am I going to have an income to be able to um, formalize it? Because there's a lot of people who think, okay, well, I'm going to start the company and they don't do the kind of due diligence and to have a, um, um, you know, prepare for it. So then they set up a company, they've got all the beautiful logo, I've got all the branding, PR, However, you've got to sustain it. So it let, I think the, the key thing is to want to have clients and an income and then the rest can fall into place because you have time to then, you know, think about, okay, right. For example, setting up an email address, setting up mm. a website, setting up. There's so much things that goes to it, which are towards the admin side of things. But the key thing is if you're brave, you do it based on clients. And you you can you can establish it, then the rest will slowly fall fall into place. And there's no rush. There's no you know, um, obviously a lot of people will feel the pressure, but it it should take how long you need to take to do that. Because if you um, you know compare yourself with others, it's not going. If everyone's different, so it depends on the scale of the uh, practice you're looking into. It depends on the scale of projects you're looking into. So. It, I try my best not to put too much pressure on myself because then I would burn myself out. So I did it in a very, uh, you know, organic way rather than, um, you know, throwing myself right in the deep end straight away. And I think that's the best advice because there's nothing worse than you doing this and then burning yourself out and not giving your best service. So, for example, if I was working 
morning till night, every day, seven days a week. When I meet my clients, I would be completely wrecked. So I wouldn't give them the best energy. I wouldn't be giving mm. them the best myself to them. So that's why it's really important to start to think, okay, well, I can't do everything myself. Start to think about, you know, bringing a team and try to um, deploy the right people. And also it's about the people more than anything. So always putting your best foot forward, you know, at every meeting. So And also the pressure of, because you, it's your company, so you're the face of that company. So if you um, turn up to, say, for example, if you've got a dental appointment, you have to be on point for that appointment every single time because you don't want a single client walking away thinking, oh, you know, um, that wasn't what I was expecting or have a different opinion of your company because you are your company. And again, this is something I've learned more from your aesthetic so for example in architecture it's all about the work you do so it's if you look at any magazines or on LinkedIn or on social media it's all about pictures of the work whereas I think with dent dentistry what we could learn from dentistry is actually people want to know who is behind the company and they want to learn more about them and make it more personable and I think that's a really you know um positive thing that you guys are doing because Every time I follow any sort of uh, dental um, uh, practice, it's about the person behind it mm -hmm. and it makes it more um, admirable, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know, I think I, I agree with you on that, but I think it's so difficult to find the right balance between being professional while still showing off your personality. So with you, for example, you are, as you're saying, you're the face of your brand and, you know, on, on social media, for example, you want to portray this professional image essentially while still being true to yourself so with the content I create on social media I really want to show my personality but I'm very very mindful and this is what put me off initially was yeah. finding that balance between being professional while still being true to myself and being organic so it's it's difficult but I, I agree that it helps for people to get to know the person behind the brand behind the work because we're all human and I think a human connection is is ideal whatever you're doing um, whether it's forming a partnership or doing a, a business partnership or doing dental treatment, for example. So how did you go towards healthcare and dentistry? Because as you were saying, you started off with commercial, residential, all sorts of different projects. But what was it that drew you to the health sector? Um, so that's a good question. So I know quite a few architects who say to me, oh, God, I avoid healthcare projects as much as I can in my practice. And I always say, why? And they always say it's very, you know, rigorous and strict and you know there's a lot of guidelines and um you can't be as creative as you want to be um but I completely disagree with that because if you can understand all the regulations and all the specifications um once you start applying that you can do it in a creative way where you can challenge the guidance in a way that you still meet it but you are challenging it and applying a new and more um, robust solution so um, you know flooring walls etc there's so many different types of finishes what type of sink what type of taps etc so many restrictions but I've learned that if you um, completely look at it from a blank canvas and start from scratch 
don't don't copy and paste what's being done in another healthcare project because a lot of times that does happen and completely think of it from scratch so every time I start a project it's a process that I that I start from um the very beginning and I just completely think about what is what is the vision so not even go into the detail what is the overall vision what's the aspirations of that certain client and there tends to be more focused in um because obviously it depends on the scale of the project but when you do a private healthcare it's so competitive as well as the nature so as you can probably know from dental dentistry it, it is quite a competitive um sector so everyone wants to present their best so but as an architect when I come in they always say you know it needs to look so good it needs to be the best and and the patient comfort is key as well so it's about bringing all those things and restrictions and bringing into one bubble fuse it together and then you just start thinking about different options so it's it's very easy to say okay this is what we're going to do this is what you know the best option but I always think it's good to challenge it and, and just think about different options and see which one suits that particular brief the most mm. and then apply the right specifications. But I think it's not easy to make healthcare look attractive, um, but it's not impossible. And I think if you think about it, you can. And also, you know, I think aesthetically, because I think I love the whole clinical side of things as well, because it's it, it's such a sterile environment but how do you make that more comfortable and mm. more personable and how do you bring in the branding you know um each 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 practice have their own branding and how do you fuse that with interiors in a way that it still meets all the regulations still represents that person or brand and still delivers a comfortable space for the um patients so mm-hmm. I think the reason I like healthcare, going back to your question, um, is is the challenge of it, and also there's you know there's lots of you know technical challenges mechanically, electrically, how how everything comes together, all the materials. Talking about what how what every single finish, what textures, what you know how how slippery each floor area needs to be, <laughs> <laughs> or how slippery not to be, um, so. I think to me, when you do a healthcare project or health sciences, when you do a different sector like residential or commercial, it makes you think, oh, wow, you know, this, this one's an easier one. Yeah. But then, then you kind of think, oh, actually, I do like to be challenged. I do like every yeah. meeting to be, you know, gosh, what are we going to do about that? What, what, what's mm. the solution there? And, you know, it makes me like, you know, finish work thinking you know today I've achieved something whereas if it's just easy you know you can do whatever you want and as long as it looks glamorous to me that to me that's not enough I have to have something that makes me that makes me tick makes me feel stimulated think about it and challenge it because it's all about challenging you know yeah no absolutely I mean even talking about this is getting me excited about clinic because my hopes and aspirations is to have my own clinic one day and I cannot wait because I love I love interior design and I just finished designing our home I say design I mean I had a team but um I love it I honestly love it and I am itching to one day have my own clinic so that I can plan about the stuff and you know it just gets you excited and I think you need to be that way inclined you need to enjoy design you need to like the challenge to be able to do that some people don't care some people really really don't care but 
to me, for example, I've been in lots of different clinics and I've worked in lots of different practices, including hospital settings and things. And to me, environment is a big, um, big factor in how comfortable I am. And to be honest, I think in some ways it affects how you behave as, as a clinician. If you're uncomfortable in a setting, if you're embarrassed of the setting you're in, um, it's you, you don't present your best version whereas whereas I think if you're comfortable if you know that you know you're proud of the setting you're in it kind of brings everything together obviously your dentistry has to be good your patient management has to be good but if you're in the setting that you're super proud of then I think it brings a new level of positive energy and it keeps you going because as we know dentistry is quite challenging and I think a big part of that challenge is patients resistance to dentistry and dental clinics because they're mm. used to that as you're saying sterile environment where everything is very clinical there's a certain smell of I think disinfectant that people really hate and it brings back memories for them it triggers them so if we are able to make it into this comfortable really nice kind of I want to say boutique type of very modern design looking um clinic then I think it sets patients at ease so that when they come in, they're, they're a little bit relaxed. Whereas if they have that smell of disinfectant, if they're unhappy to be there, then it puts them on edge. So I think it really does affect patient care all in all. Definitely, there's, there's definitely even evidence-based design that actually, one, it, it increases productivity. So even, even your staff, um, if they love the environment they work in, they work better and <laughs> or in, in a more pleasant way. Yeah. Um, so there's a number of benefits. So obviously the patient is the key because you want them to feel comfortable, relaxed, and environments definitely help with that. Of course, it's the dentist as well. You got to calm them, you got to relax them. But the, having the right so having the right lighting, mm. for example, um, it it would just you know or or the relevant distractions through the journey of the patient flow through the building, for example. Um, so I try my best normally is to bring some sort of biophilic design into the spaces. So you you said you love plants, as you can tell. <laughs> Everyone who knows you will know that. Um, so, you know, I do love to link the space with nature where possible. So um, maybe maybe we can't put plants in the more clinical spaces. Uh, however, we can visually um, translate that. So um, recently we've done a screen above a dental chair where it just basically projects um, uh, dental, uh, sorry, the um, nature graphics and sounds and things. So when you're on the, on, the, on the patient chair, you can have a, you know, wander around and look up and get distracted wow. and feel calm. Um, also there's things like, you know, um, where, where your chair is located, have you got the luxury of natural lighting? So natural light is so important. Um, that does help again with relax. Because if you've got the luxury, you've got a big bay window, for example, use it, you know. Um, I know not everyone has that because you always, you know, if you're doing a refurbishment, you kind of find the best space you can possibly afford or have. Uh, but if you do, abuse it, you know. Um, and also, you know, the colors, colors do make a difference as well. So, um, it also, this thing, so if you say using calmer colors, it can help from a psychology perspective, or you could have clutter-free spaces. So people tend to feel a bit more anxious if there's a lot of clutter around you. So if you've got more- I definitely you feel anxious away. if there's clutter around me. <laughs> Honestly, so like even if there's a pen now to place it, yeah, it stresses. I've got really bad OCD. I literally go around <laughs> nagging everyone around me, like, why don't you put things into place? 
that definitely will help me I think <laughs> I, I'm the same so if my desk is not tidy I just feel like I can't work properly so I completely understand that So talk me through a process of designing a clinic in private dental health care. So say you've got someone's just acquired a building um, and let's go from scratch because that's exciting. So say it's a squat building. It's not a practice beforehand. It's just the outline, the skeleton of the building, essentially, and you have to make it into a dental clinic. What kind of things do you consider and how do you start planning? Because obviously there's so much to consider, but how do you start and what do you break it down into? Um, very good question. Okay, so to summarize and sort of, sort of bullet points, so um, obviously, first of all, you've got to decide whether this is the right journey for you. So step one is, am I going to do a squat practice? And what scale and what is your basically end goal? So for example, like you were saying, you're in the shell. Do you have the potential of going growing? How many surgery rooms you're going to need? and all the ancillary rooms that's required because even if you have one room there's certain ancillary rooms you have to have to be able to service that and most of the time you're also going to need a reception area etc so um the, the scale will vary on different clients and different types of what they want to do with it um and then you obviously then think about okay how much i can set aside for this budget wise uh, etc so it's all it's good to think about all that at the beginning so then it helps you understand what you can afford as well because the last thing you want is have a big big you know goal and aspiration and then realize actually am i going to really afford this and then it'll be a waste of time so um it's just having a realistic goal and then obviously you've got to then look for a site um this is something you can e even do with your designer team so we would, we would actually come with our clients to have a view of their property and then help them decide, would this work for them? Because, you know, if you're thinking you've got a low budget, we can then help you think about, okay, if you, you know, take this wall out, bring this room in or change things, we can give you a heads up of how much, you know, that would actually cost you down the line. Um, and then you can then identify the correct building that suits you. And then once you've got your building, you start to think about, okay, there's a lot of, you know, other things to think about with leasing and uh, I won't go into the property side of it. I'll stick to the design part. Um, and then you um, start to write a brief. So at the very beginning, stage one of the process. So um, the architectural stages take you through step by step. So that's, it's quite a nice way of knowing each stage, what you have to do. So it's, it's a very, you know, um, methodical way of doing it. So it's not going to be like, you know, the, the journey takes time and it's the process side of it that is really helpful in this case. So stage one where you define the brief. So you sit down and think, okay, how much space do I need? What equipment you're going to need, um, et cetera. And then you start to think about, oh, okay, I've got to think about what, uh, how am I going to procure my equipment, for example, are you going to have existing equipment are you leasing it, etc.? You then start to think about timeline of all of that because you know you've got to. <laughs> there's a lot of arranging to do with that side of things, and then we then take on all the um, requirements. Then we start to look at the layouts, and we always design from plan to start to understand how much space it is, and then we go into the detail. Um, and then we're going to have series of rooms or or a holistic large space to look at. And then we then bring our client ideas of how you can fit everything you want to fit into those spaces. Mm -hmm. And then 
they might say, um, nope, that, that doesn't work for me. I'm going to have to think about it. So you, you're, you're going to have lots of comments. You're going to have lots of, you know, thinking about this because it's something you shouldn't probably rush, especially if it's your first time. Um, and then and then once we've got the layouts, we then start to look at it technically. So at this point, let's say the client signed off the layout and think, OK, I'm happy with this. This is all going to fit. And we'll show them exactly where the, say, the dental chair is going to go, where the joinery is going to go. And then you also understand it from a spatial perspective. So what we also do is, um, without going into too much detail, is we do, say, 3D printed models of the space or we do 3D views of the space. So we either do like a CGI visual to make you understand how it would feel in the space or you would um, you would look at it. It's more tangible to have a model, 3D model, and just have a look at it, which is really cool. Um, from experience, that tends to <laughs> make most of my clients agree to things because they see and they're like, actually, that works. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah, I love yeah. it. And, and then we get to the next detail, which is start to understand it from a you know mechanical, electrical point of view. How is all the equipment going to be fitted? How is the joint going to enclose everything? Again, how are we going to do our best to have a clutter-free space um, and hide everything? <laughs> but obviously, there's a lot of things you need to see as well. So, <laughs> um, And then once we have that, we then go into the um, specification, which is the next stage of fun part, where you bring in, OK, um, so this is a clinical space. We have more restrictions. Say, reception area, there is less. So how do you make those spaces? different from one another but the key thing is making them all interlink and and come together beautifully because there's nothing worse having one reception that looks completely different to your other room mm. um and, and then we, we then bring in the branding etc um and then also at the same time you're going to have furniture we, we also um procure the furniture so we, we'll make sure all the furniture coordinates with the interiors um I strongly advise making sure the furniture's right because I've seen some other projects where the interiors look amazing and then a, a furniture can completely ruin the space. Mm. So making sure there's so many different details comes together, but it's key that you and the designer always have a close relationship because the process evolves together. So say if you change your mind about some sort of equipment and you think, oh, actually, that's going to be out of date by next year when I finish the clinic, I'm going to get a new one. So you then feed that information to us and we, we develop that as part of the process. And then once we're done with the design um, and we're happy with it, we love it, we then uh, tender it out to contractors to um, get a cost-effective um, cost back to see and also who is the best team. So it's it's definitely wise to go to a number of people. So I normally tend to go to three different contractors and um, who are suitable for the project and then see who's the um, most suitable for that type of project and that location. Um, and then, yeah, and then you compare the prices and then you it, normally at this point is when the client decides, okay, can I 100% afford this as well? Because sometimes they can get carried away and then want everything. And then at this point where we do the next round of costs, um, sometimes, you know, um, this is what's going to happen to me. I, I just know yeah, it. this I, is what's going to happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, you know, um, it, it, it's completely up to you because some people would be like, no, this is definitely my budget. And then we, we definitely have to stick to that, which is fine. This, that's different. But also there's clients where, they are learning on the project and they're understanding themselves as well and their practice. So 
um, they might want to add more value to it during the design, which is fine. Um, but again, we will make sure they kind of expect how much that is going to cost. Um, but yeah, at the end of it, you know, as long as you have a good product at the end and you can obviously afford it, um, at the end of it, you're going to have a practice that you love and it's bespoke to what you want. Um, not not a generic, you know, it's not a copy and paste. That that's that's the beauty of involving. I would say a designer because they would just think of it from scratch for you yeah. and help you develop your dream, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, this this conversation is getting me excited. I'm just thinking I'm gonna have a screen probably in my in my clinic to to just show TikTok videos. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's really exciting. Yeah, that's completely true. Say say you're doing your brief, you'll know you need a you know a, a containment to make sure you can do your TikTok. And, and it's true, like everyone's going to be different. And if you have, if you're doing a brief from scratch, that's exactly the space you will have. You'll have the right lighting. You'll have the right space you need. You're going to have your shelves for all your um, um, equipment behind the yeah. Do you know, I genuinely think it's worth like in this day and age, all jokes aside, I think content creation is very, very key and important. Whatever field you're in, whatever business you're in, I think content creation, whether you do that yourself or you allocate to somebody to do that for you. I think it's really, really valuable and important. So my dream is to have in that clinic, in my dream clinic, have a studio, however small it may be, just have a studio with, like you're saying, ideal lighting and all, I don't know, costume changes, props, that kind of thing, because it's so, and it doesn't have to be big, you know, it can be small, but it just makes it really, really special because this is a place that you're gonna be spending the majority of your time essentially you know, we, we, we're all workaholics, we live at our clinics or whatever we work now at home, but for, for dentists, it's going to be your clinic that you spend the majority of your time in, um, unless yeah. you're me and you work two days a week at the moment. But that, I think <laughs> that really helps and you need to make it what you want it. Thank you so much for joining me today, Kimia. It's been such an insightful chat. I've learned so much and it's genuinely made me really excited for that one day in the future when I come to design my own clinic. Hopefully it's not too far into the future, but thank you so much for being on here and for sharing your wisdom with us. Well, thank you so much to have me on here and I hope the whole journey and just having this quick discussion with you has made your audience realize that it's a, it's not a long dream away, it's possible and you can do it, anyone can do it and just bring your mind to it. I really hope you enjoyed that episode and as always you can reach out to me on Instagram at Dr Shadi Manucheri to let me know what you thought of this episode or if you have any suggestions or questions relating to the podcast. There will be a new episode every week, so please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to never miss an episode, and I can't wait to speak to you soon.